0: Fair Food Forager. Changing the way the world eats by making ethical easy. That sounds like a very good idea. Fair
1: Food Forager. Hello and welcome to the Fair Food Forager and Friends show, the podcast brought to you by the Fair Food Forager app, the only comprehensive sustainable food directory that isn't focused on the problem but what we can do about it. It comes complete with its own social feed all about bettering ourselves and being good to the planet, and it's filling up with great content from passionate greenies like you and me. Today I'm talking to Lindy Cohen, aka the nude nutritionist. Lindy is a dietitian and nutritionist who puts the fun back into food. Her program Back to Basics is about recipes, fitness, and your headspace. I love this chat because while Lindy obviously knows a lot about nutrition, you don't feel like you're being lectured. Food is about being healthy but also loving the food experience. So we go on about diets, eating disorders, and the media and how we think we should look. Sustainability and growing your own food. You will love this one. So without further ado, here is Lindy Cohen. the show so pretty much anything goes you can say (laughs) what
0: you like thank you and likewise with me I'm I'm a very open book so I'll talk about anything from you know eating disorders to anxiety and mental health things and you know so nothing's off limits it's kind of you know the the part of being back to basics and keeping it real and not being full of bullshit
1: yeah totally and you know this this podcast I guess it's sort of like it's about sustainability but I quite often talk about things like that as well so and I think sustainability is so broad that that includes things like nutrition and staying healthy and that includes mental health and that as well I'm also interested in because you're running your own business and things like that so we can talk about kind of keeps you going when you've got a you're the only person that's keeping you going, like no one's over you over your back telling you, do this now, you've got to do it yourself. So it's good to talk about those sort of things as well, I guess. What is The New Nutritionist and how did this all get started?
0: <laughs> that's a good question. Well, The New Nutritionist for me is about being stripped bare, back to basics, no bullshit. I think I got started in a time where, everyone was becoming quite obsessed with wellness and nutrition. And a lot of the recommendations that people were handing out seemed too hard to maintain and sustain. And nowadays there's a whole lot of wellness warriors on, you know, Instagram, these influencers making these pretty outrageous claims and giving people an idea that they need to reach this this perfect version of health. And I just don't buy into any of that. So, the new nutritionist is all about you know bringing it back to basics and, and keeping it real. So that's what I try to do all the time. I'm often calling out nonsense where I see it, and goodness knows there's a lot of it. Um, just to try help people feel like healthy eating is not as hard as as people make it seem.
1: Yeah, I think nutrition, like you really do if you if you get really caught up in it and all the nuts and bolts, people can start thinking that it's really technical and you need an, an advisor all the time. Uh, but I think it's like with anything, you don't really, you don't need to be that hard on yourself. You can, you can just start by adding things into your diet and enjoying it. I think I read that somewhere actually on your website that if you're not, if you're not enjoying 95% of your diet, then you, you're kind of not living anyway. You gotta have a little bit of fun, don't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, like it's not worth compromising, you know, becoming obsessed with healthy eating so that you kinda actually enjoy things and live a good life. Nutrition's meant to make our lives better, give us more energy. And, and sometimes we can become so obsessed with it that it can feel quite like controlling and we feel guilty when we do the wrong thing, and we get this really unhealthy relationship with food. I think also at the moment, there's a whole range of different ways of eating. And so it's super overwhelming. You know, know, should I be eating keto or should I be going vegan? Or, you know, you have all these different options in between those as well. And I, I ultimately don't believe there's one way that we all need to eat that's going to be good for us. But I do think the thing that all diets share is that we need to eat more vegetables. We need to eat more fruit. Ideally, I think whole, whole grains and legumes and nuts and all that good stuff has a real place in our diet. What we often do is we create lists of forbidden foods. And when we do this, we become even more tempted foods. So it's like when you tell a toddler that they're not allowed to do something, immediately they want to do it more. It's the exact same thing. Um, you know, at the moment we're going through this coronavirus situation, and people fear that there's not enough toilet paper. And when we fear there's not enough, we go out and we panic by. That's what many people are doing. And it's the exact same thing with food. When you fear that there is not enough, there is not, you know, that anytime you want chocolate, you can't eat chocolate, that's when everyone else will leave the house and you'll end up eating way more chocolate than you ever wanted. Um, and I think what we do is we create this really unhealthy relationship with food. What we really need to be doing Regardless of how you eat, what it makes your body feel good, we need to be crowding in more of those foods and make us feel good. Um, I think it's only 50% of Australians eat enough fruit and only I think it's around 4% of Australians eat enough vegetables. <laughs> and we're always wondering what's this magic solution to our diet woes and it's as simple as crowding in more of the veggies and the fruit and the good stuff. Did you really say 4%?
1: Yeah,
0: it's dismal. Wow. Um it's, you know, it's actually not, it's actually a lot more vegetables than people think. It's five serves of vegetables a day is the current recommendation. And that's the minimum. That's what we should try and get at the bare bones. Ideally five to 10, if we can muster it. And a serve is about the size of your fist. So the average Australian is definitely not getting that. We know that because of the research. And so what really baffles me is this idea that everyone's kind of finding, looking for this secret answer the panchia to diet and it really is as simple as adding one more extra serving of vegetables. Even if you're not even close to getting in five a day, if you're eating one a day and you double it, that is awesome. Um, I can't tell you how many people I speak to who don't eat one serving of vegetable a day.
1: Yeah, wow. And I guess even just doing things like if you're, you know, I know quite often if you're sitting at a computer and even now, like you said, if you're sitting at a computer at home, you're, you start to want to snack. So if, mm-hmm. instead of snacking on some biscuits or your chips or a chocolate or whatever, you could grab a carrot or an apple or something like that and snack on that. And then you're less likely to crave more food because you're, you're more full of the good stuff.
0: I think so. And I think it's about making that healthy food really bloody tasty. I, I see a lot of very sad and boring-looking healthy food being promoted. And, you know, we used to have this advice where someone would say, if you're going to order a salad, make sure the salad dressing is on the side because it's a lot of calories and salad dressing. And to those people, I just want to yell. I mean, salad dressing is the thing that makes us want to eat the salad. Otherwise, it's boring and no one wants to eat it. Or they tell you you can't have avocado because it's too fatty or feta or any of these ingredients that can make food really tasty. Now, when you're baking vegetables, I think adding some extra virgin olive oil, even some parmesan, even some nice crispy bits because crispy bits make everything better. You add those things on top. Suddenly the vegetables go from being something you have to do to something you really get to enjoy. And I think if you're not enjoying it, you're not doing it right. It's kind of like with exercise where people go, well, I don't like that kind of exercise. Then, then find a different kind of exercise that you do like. And maybe that means you don't burn as many calories. And so there's that compromise there. But when you do something more consistently, whether that's eating vegetables or exercising, it is going to get you to be healthy. And when you enjoy it, then the consistency doesn't require willpower. I think these days we have a real depletion of willpower where, you know, there's so much processing that we need to go on with during our day is stress and worry. And it, it really can consume that, that finite amount of willpower we have each day. So we need to find ways to make things really easy, really enjoyable, and that's the way that it gets done. And I will also add at the moment what is so interesting is let's say you are working from home or you're spending a lot of time in front of the computer. What is great about this period is there is no schedule like there normally is. Very often we are very locked into a certain set of, parameters of the day. So you wake up, you have breakfast. That's, that's routine. And then you might have a a coffee or a snack. Then around lunchtime, everyone knows when lunchtime is, we eat again. Maybe there's an afternoon snack and dinner time. Let's, let's just ignore those set meal times for a moment. And instead of eating by the clock, because you think it's time to eat instead, just take a moment to go, am I even hungry? You know, your hunger system, your appetite is your body's inbuilt mechanism for managing your weight, for making sure that you have the right amount of energy. So instead of listening to all these food rules that tell you how much to eat, when you have to eat and and getting yourself in a kerfuffle around it, what's really simple and really enjoyable is to just pull back and go, am I even hungry? Now, this might mean is that you wake up in the morning and you're not hungry, And then you have to know that it's okay that you don't have to eat first thing in the morning. Um, If you're under 18, the breakfast is the most important meal of the day. But when it comes to adults, the research is very murky. And the whole idea that breakfast is the most important meal of the day isn't true. It's about finding what works for you and your body. So if you feel like you're not hungry in the morning, Simply wait until you do get hungry. And when you get hungry, then eat. Eat till you feel satisfied. And I think what's really lovely about this is, is research shows that when people eat this way, it's called eating ad libitum eating to your hunger, people are able to eat within 50 calories of how much calories they, they burn that day, which is deeply accurate. And you think about the current model of wellness is to dish out meal plans that never change, where you end up eating the same boring food every single day and week on week. This way, it just we're so much better able to tune into what our body is asking from us. And so what you will find based on hormones, stress, activity, even things like the weather, how much energy you require is constantly changing from day to day. So when you're having a very hungry week and some weeks, (laughs) you know, you're ravenous and and it feels like you need to eat often. What we need to be able to do is is trust that our body needs more energy on that day and allow ourselves to fill up on more nutrient-rich foods and crowd in more of those healthy foods and on days when we aren't so hungry just to ride that wave as well and to know that that is okay. We've gotten so far removed from the simple act of listening to our body that I think sometimes we're overwhelmed by all this nutritionism and it can actually do a bit of harm. Um, I'm I'm much more of a believer of finding what works for you. You might have someone like me who's a dietitian or nutritionist and They're an expert on nutrition, but you're always going to be the expert on your body. So you need to be in, have enough confidence to know that that's what you should be listening to.
1: So do you think it's more, because I was thinking it's like a a trained thing, like you've, you've trained, your body's been trained over years to crave certain things or enjoy certain tastes, you know, because it might be what you grew up with as a child. So like some kids aren't allowed to have, sweets until they get older. I know when I was a, a kid, you know, Easter was pretty much the only time we used to get sweets and things like that. So I've never really been had a really sweet tooth. Like I love chocolate, but I've never really liked the the sugary lollies or or sugary cakes and things like that. Or is it um so you're you're sort of saying if you just listen to your body, you'll crave those things that you naturally need. Today, rather than have mm-hmm. something built up over years.
0: Well, I think there's there's two points to that. I think sometimes you have kids who don't get sweets growing up, and and they go the other way. They become obsessed with trying to get sweet stuff. So I think it depends on your relationship with food. There, I think that I think that we train our bodies as well to to expect food. So for example, if you grew up being told you have to finish everything on your plate, chances are that that kind of learning was drummed into you and that you would feel bad not leaving, you know, leaving some food on your plate even if you were feeling quite satiated and full. Another thing that can happen is that, you know, for many people, we've finished a really hard day and we get in front of the television and Suddenly, we turn on our favorite show, and it's like clockwork where those cravings come in, either for salty or for sweet. And suddenly we weren't thinking about food before, but that TV has basically conditioned us that when we watch TV in the afternoon or when we sit down on the couch, or maybe there's, you know, when you come home after work and you open that front door, you get hit with a sensation of needing food. We condition our bodies to need this kind of thing. And so first thing is just becoming really aware of that conditioning, because that is definitely something that happens. And then knowing that you can change that behavior and start to, move away from it. So one of the things you can do is you can watch TV, of course, but creating a bit of a, you know, eating at the table and not eating in front of the TV, I think is a really healthy thing to do. Mm. Um, When it comes to like taste preferences, some people naturally prefer salty and some people prefer sweet. Research doesn't suggest that cravings are linked with deficiencies. So that's that's an, that's a common idea, but there isn't actually that much evidence to support that. Um, it might be when you're a child, you had certain experiences that led you to prefer one of the other. But I also think there's something called bio-individuality, this idea that we are all quite unique. You know, some people are naturally, their biorhythms at night dictate how they live. So some people are morning people and some people are night owls. Um, apparently that's quite hardwired into us and we don't have that much free will over it. So when it comes to having things like sweets i think we're always probably going to have a craving for sweets if you do like sweet foods and it's you know the interesting thing about saltiness and i'll just jump here for a sec is that you can actually reduce your ability to tolerate salt so they've shown that if you go cold turkey let's say you, you eat a lot of salt we know that having too much salt isn't good for your your heart health your blood pressure so if you cut out salt almost completely within a week, your tolerance for salt will be much higher. So you will much lower. You'll be able to tolerate much less salt in your diet. Um, this isn't the case for, for sweet stuff. There's a bit of a longer term. But sometimes, you know, when you're a kid, you got used to eating very sweet stuff. And I, I'm finding the older you get, the, the less you have a tolerance for that really sweet kind of stuff. So just knowing that these habits, they, they can shift and they can change. Um, first thing is just to become really aware of them.
1: It, it's interesting too, and I've, I've listened to a podcast before where they talked about uh, that, that thing, particularly with sweets, like something like ice cream or chocolate. And I, I feel like there are sort of two types of people. Uh, they called one, one abstainers and one something else. I can't remember what it is. But say like you get a tub of ice cream. Some people can sit there and eat, you know, uh, two centimetres of that ice cream and be satisfied and then leave the rest of that ice cream tomorrow. And I would put myself in that category. I can eat one square of chocolate and then come back the next night and eat another square of chocolate. Whereas some people, they've got the tub and they can't, they have to eat the whole thing. And same with chocolate, they will just have to, and they're not necessarily unhealthy, definitely not, or overweight or anything. But once they've got that chocolate bar open, that chocolate bar gets finished. Do you find that as well with people that they either can kind of make it last or the whole lot's going to go?
0: Yeah, I definitely would agree that there's there's a, there's a spectrum of people who are able to either abstain or or not. And speaking from personal experience, I used to have something called binge eating disorder. So I grew up probably from the age of six. I I was aware that I was bigger than other kids. By the time I was 11, I was sent to my first nutritionist, even though I was a very normal weight. Um, And I was put on meal plans and, and spent the first part of my life dieting and becoming quite obsessed with what I was allowed and not allowed to eat. So it really got to a point that every time I ate something that was really unhealthy, I considered myself bad, I beat myself up over it, and I would try not to eat these kinds of foods in front of other people. I felt quite ashamed about the idea that, you know, I needed to be quite good. Um, what ended up happening is I ended up eating these foods a lot in secret, in private, and when I would start eating them, I couldn't stop eating them. It went way beyond how much I, you know, could actually fit in my stomach. I wasn't hungry. I'd obviously had plenty, but there was that, there was no satiation point or satisfaction point where I got there and I was like, okay, I, I've had enough. And I think largely this ability to continue to eat and eat is very connected with our relationship with food. As I was talking about with the toilet paper idea, if we believe that there is a lack, if there is something called food scarcity, if maybe to, if there's a diet, you've grown up and at different points in your life, there were certain foods that were suddenly off limits, you know, come Monday morning, when you have that last supper and any, any meal could be that last supper, you could feel that need to just try and get as much as possible. So I really believe that um, people who find it really hard to stop eating, even if it's not as far as binge eating, it's emotional eating, or even just general overeating, there's something in them that's telling them that I shouldn't do this, or this is bad, or I feel guilty for eating this, um, I'm not allowed to eat this. You know, Those kinds of thoughts can really make us ironically eat a lot more and have a, a much harder time stopping. Whereas I'm imagining you, for you, Paul, you know that any time you want to eat ice cream or you want to have chocolate, you can just get it. Get it. And because of this, it's, it's not so, you know, not an interesting food for you. Is that correct?
1: Oh, look, I love ice cream and I love chocolate, but I, I would definitely agree with what you're saying. Like I never feel like it's going to run out. And if, if it did run out, I could go a few days without it. Um, Like I pretty much never buy ice cream now but I always have some chocolate around but I I never think, oh, I can't have chocolate ever. It's never a stress for me that I can't eat chocolate. I don't think I'm going to become fat and unhealthy if I eat it. So it's not something, it's definitely not something that I'm stressed about eating too much of or not having enough of. So, yeah, I would definitely agree with that.
0: That sounds right to me and i think we have this idea that if i just allow myself give myself permission to eat whatever i want then i am going to really lose control around food then i will gain a lot of weight then i will have relationships. issues that's not the case you know what's so interesting about our body's inbuilt intelligence is that a, our body wants us to be a healthy, happy weight for us, whatever that weight is. And I don't really buy into the BMI. I think it's bullshit. But I think we, we each have a certain weight that our body feels comfy, where we sleep well, where our hormones are stable, where we you know, fall asleep really easily. We have energy to do the workouts that we want to do and, you know, just enjoy our lives when we actually stop putting all these food rules onto our lives, things like you can't eat carbohydrates, you can't eat certain foods, you have to eat frequent meals to keep your metabolism going, or you have to fast or whatever, you know, the food rule is. When we actually ditch these food rules and we give ourselves permission to eat whatever we want pretty much. Yes. There might be a period where we do go out and and eat more ice cream or eat more chocolate or, or chips or whatever it is for you. But eventually these foods do lose their appeal. And then, you actually start to crave healthier foods. You know when it's like when you go on holiday and you spend a lot of time eating in restaurants and you come home and you just crave a home-cooked meal, you crave vegetables, you crave movements, you crave a healthier lifestyle. And I think this is just that inbuilt natural part of our body that that wants us to be healthy. And, yes, we live in an obesogenic environment. That means that you know, so many things are, you know, conspiring to make it hard for us to make healthy choices but I think when we just stop putting that pressure on ourselves we find that we feel good when we eat lots of vegetable vegetables we enjoy the taste of fruit Um, and then we don't have to try so hard
1: Mm. that body image thing that you mentioned it to me I feel like it's very much my uh mood like it's in my it's in your brain because I can look at myself two days in a row and look at myself one day and think, oh, gee, I've got to start running a bit more or doing, or doing, going to the gym more or drinks, drink less beer this week or something like that. And then I can look at myself the next day and nothing has changed and I think I look great. And that's two <laughs> days in a row. And I really look the same, but my brain is interpreting how I look differently.
0: And we really need that reminder that that really reinforces state. Idea that um, our body image really has nothing to do with how we look because it can really change. It you know, at various days, as you mentioned. I think we have this idea that if I just look better, then I'll like myself more. I will like how I look. I'll have more confidence. But so often what ends up happening is the goalpost just ends up shifting and suddenly the aspirations, the goals, how we think we need to look, that becomes even further away and we've got to keep chasing and chasing. I think the other thing that I often remind myself of is it's not our purpose in life to look good from every single angle. You will t- take photos where you have a double chin and you look pretty terrible. And then the next day you could take a photo be in the right light. And suddenly you look really great. Yeah. I think there's so much pressure on us to look fantastic all the time. And it's just not doable. Mm. I don't think that, you know, everyone always talks about this idea of body love. It's quite a bit of a buzz term these days. I actually don't really think that's the goal. I think what we really want to be aiming for is something called body neutrality or or body acceptance. It's, it's the idea that, all right, my body might not look perfect, but it's still really valuable. And it's still really incredible, all the things that it can do. And beyond that, I still just really appreciate it for what it is. So it's, it's almost like a forgiving yourself for not looking this like a perfect version of yourself all the time and just going, you know, I don't need to do that in order to be healthy, in order to be happy. And I think so often people confuse health with meaning that someone weighs less and I've met many very slim people who have very unhealthy lifestyles who drink, take drugs, don't eat vegetables, don't exercise. Um, but if you showed someone a photo, people would assume that's what a healthy person looked like. Um, and you can have people in larger bodies. That's just how they're built. You know, you can look at you know, a group of kindergarten kids and everyone's got different shapes and from, you know, from the get go, we're kind of got this this predisposed body shape and yet we, we end up trying to spend our whole life fighting against it. Um, I'd say, I'd say let's, let's stop trying to fight. Let's do a little bit more of accepting our, our imperfections. Um, and I think we'll be a lot happier and a lot healthier for it.
1: Yeah, and that all comes down to how you feel as well, doesn't it? So you, you, can, uh, you can look at yourself in the mirror after not having enough sleep or arriving back from overseas on a, from a plane Uh, trip, uh, drinking too much alcohol that night and look at yourself and feel like you've aged 10 years,
0: you know, in one day. Um, Exactly. Or it could have nothing to do with how you look at all. You could see an old friend and that friend's lost 10 kilograms and suddenly that makes you feel like you need to do something or you, you see a photo of someone else or you see an old photo of yourself. And there can be so many triggers that it literally have got nothing to do with how you look, but it, it impacts on how you feel about yourself.
1: Yeah, it's so much of it is in our head, isn't
0: it? Yes. Yeah, definitely.
1: So, because uh, you you post quite a bit about uh, that that image um, on your Instagram, you you post a uh, a real life photograph, and then you know an Instagram how you're supposed to look on Instagram. Uh, is this <laughs> To to try and ease that that mental thing that people have, that mental image of themselves, and that they they yeah. should be looking at the fakeness of social media as someone that they should aspire to. Is that what it's about?
0: Well, I really want to provide a bit of a reality check. That you know, these photos that I post, I post two photos side by side they are taken two minutes apart from each other. So obviously I haven't changed in how I look, but the pose is different and I, you know, I can look completely different. So that reality check is just so important. Mm -hmm. My gripe is that in the health world, People have been promoting eating disorder advice and and pretending that it's health advice for many, many years. We have been willing to compromise someone's wellness just so that they weigh less because we have assumed that that was a better trait to have. That's just not the case. Mm. I see so many people who put their lives on hold, whose every thought revolves around food and it makes them go crazy and it makes them really unwell. And I just don't buy into the idea that if you look slim, then that makes you healthy. I think we have to be really cautious about the wellness world selling us this idea that you have to be beautiful in order to, to be healthy. It's, it's just nonsense and it makes it so much harder for normal people to engage with. And one of my favorite quotes is the idea that It's not worth sacrificing ninety-five percent of your life just to weigh five percent less. That that whole idea of putting your life on hold, of not seeing your friends, of of, you know, of just making so much compromise that it doesn't feel doable, and it's definitely not sustainable um, for what for people to constantly be dieting for their entire lives. Uh, uh, Statistically, only around. 5% 5% of people will go on to lose weight on a diet and keep that weight off. Majority of people will regain the weight and many people will regain more weight than they originally lost. And so I'm not a fan of, of you know, when people say, oh, right, you know, January 1st, I'm going to make all these changes or they make drastic changes things drastically changes to their diet and they're hopeful that they'll maintain them the brain doesn't work like that so what we need to uh, you know accept is that the brain is plastic so it does change but it changes slowly while these new pathways get rewired so what we need to do is adopt habits one by one drip by drip so that our brain has time to adjust and grow with us otherwise we're scrambling our brain is overactive trying to keep juggle all these new habits that we've suddenly decided to adopt. The end result is we're going to drop them all. And then we're going to go right back to where we started and worse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as I said, I was a binge eater growing up. Um, and I decided that, you know, after 10 years of compulsive dieting of literally t- trying every single diet there was to try, I realized that I had actually gained so much weight. I had gained 20 kilograms of, and, This was from me being obsessed. I think there are a lot of people who could relate to that, of of realizing that they've been dieting their whole lives and they weigh more now than when they started. Um, And so what I did is I slowly let go of all these diet rules and I just started focusing on one healthy habit at a time, bit by bit by bit. And over four years, I lost 20 kilograms. I think it's really important to note that it took me four years to lose 20 kilograms. And if you actually took that as an average over the course of four years, that's about a hundred grams per week. So you can bet that if my goal going into that was to lose weight, that I would have gotten really disheartened if I had hopped on the scale and realized that I'd only lost hundred grams after, you know, a whole week of, of doing work. Um, of doing stuff, you know, so often in the diet world, we're told that we need to lose about half a kilogram a week, which is just, you know, heaps of weight. So the thing that I think was really successful about what I did is, is it was never about weight for me. The weight ended up just being that my body found it's happy, healthy weight all by itself without the struggle, without the trying, but it's only because I was willing to kind of be patient about it. And I always thought to myself, you know, this, this does feel like it's going to take a long time, but if in a year from now, I never have to worry about my weight or food again. Then this would have been worth it, and it, it definitely was worth it. it. It it gave me so much more headspace to think about things other than how much I weigh and how much I was eating. And now I eat really, really healthy, healthily, and it's really easy.
1: Yeah, I, I know. Like you, you said, there the um, that how, how that period that it took you to lose the weight, and people look at. You know, images on social media or in magazines and things like that. And there's a diet. You know, you can lose all this weight in eight weeks or whatever it is. And they'll they'll always show. You know, one image is kind of dark, and the person's got a frumpy look on their face, and it's and they're looking down and they're looking sad and all that. And then the the weight, the the image where they've lost all this weight apparently is bright and shiny. They got a big smile on their face, and it's it's like. I feel like it's sort of, kind of trick the people into, you know, these are the results. Like, and and it, your your brain must automatically think, oh yeah, that's how I feel now because that's how I am dark and frumpy and everything. And I want to be bright and smiley at the end of this little eight week period. And it, it's to me, it seems very fake when I see it. But it's obviously uh, tricking people into uh, getting involved in some of these diets.
0: I'm glad it makes you feel uncomfortable and and like there's trickery because it is total trickery. I think if people were honest who did before and after photos, they'd show you the the, the after photo that comes after the after photo Um, because realistically these people are not maintaining this weight loss. In fact, any time you're seeing someone using a before and after photo, I think alarm bells should go off in your brain thinking – why is it they need to resort to doing this? What they're really doing by using a before and after photo is promoting weight loss. That's it. They're just promoting this idea that your life is going to be better if you weigh less. That that your measure of success is is how much you weigh and nothing else than that. That's not health. You know, that's 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 at the opposite of health, that's that's making you worry about something that you don't need to worry about. Now, if you want to tell me that someone's just you know has so much more energy and they're feeling really really good in themselves, then that's great. But that's not something that we can see in a before and after photo. So. I would avoid anyone who uses before and after photos. And if, if you are listening and you currently use before and after photos to promote something you're doing, then maybe think about what are some other ways that I might be able to convey the right message but without using that form, that, that kind of imagery that that is essentially not telling the full picture.
1: Mm. Yeah, and, and something else I was thinking while you, you were explaining that as well is that you were saying you would slowly add one new Uh, way of to be more healthy and that's kind of the exact same thing that I talk about with sustainability is that you know if you add one thing like starting to grow some herbs in your garden or um, remove one chemical out of your house and use a natural product to clean your house with if you do that for a few weeks that becomes something that you can accept and you enjoy and then you don't have to think about that anymore and then you can add another thing. So it's it's really the same thing, isn't it? Being healthy. On- oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. What you're teaching is sustainability around sustainability, <laughs> which I love. And it's the exact same process. And I think, as you're saying, you know, adding in herbs, it's one, one small tiny change. The same thing applies for for health. But I think so often we get caught up in we have to make these healthy habits that are either going to make us lose weight or going to give us this very, like, strong outcome. But even little tiny changes really do add up to make big results in the long term. So even if you're doing something like you're getting to bed 10 minutes earlier, you're really giving those hormones in your body, the ones that control things like your hunger and your fullness and cravings, you're giving them a little bit more time so that they actually they don't, you know, they, they work for you, not against you. Um, even if you're doing things like that don't burn a lot of calories. I have a lot of people who say to me, yeah, but why would I go for a walk when going to the gym or whatever it will burn a lot more calories? I'm saying, well, super enjoyable and it's really good mental headspace for you. And, you know, it's really healthy for your body to be moving for your heart health. Um and once you start with a walk, who knows what you would do. Maybe you go for a nice long walk, or maybe you go for a little bit of a jog sometime because you feel like it, or maybe that leads you down a pathway to doing other kinds of things. It really is that kind of think of these as as gateway habits to kind of get you through the door. Um, And I was thinking about it today. I have this beautiful lush vegetable garden nowadays. Um, But as you say, I started with some herbs and then I decided to get um, a raised garden bed. And then I decided I wanted more and then I just kept building. And now had I started with this garden that I have now, it would have been so overwhelmed, but it grew so organically and naturally that it's just really sustainable and enjoyable.
1: Yeah, and I think I love what you're saying there about, you know, putting all this pressure on you and trying to want to change instantly, whatever that is, Like leading up to the change in daylight saving, because it was still dark at 7am, I was sort of, because I I don't have an alarm or anything, I just wake up when the birds wake me up or when the light starts coming in the window. And because I was starting to sleep a bit later in the morning, I was going to bed like eleven thirty or whatever and not being tired at all but if I said that's it I've got to go to bed at 10 I'd probably go to bed at 10 and just roll around and not go to sleep because I wasn't tired so I started going to bed 10 minutes earlier and and trying to make it cut off 11 and then cut off at 10 30 and then when daylight savings changed it just all happened naturally I so love that I think that that's slow and it doesn't it doesn't have to take years I guess but just adding little things, it takes so much pressure off you. I remember when I started exercising because um, I went through a little patch when I was a teenager where I, I put on weight and I think it was just because, you know, I I was getting money to spend in the canteen so I was buying chocolate bars and things every day and, and I started running but it was like I, I didn't run a marathon the first week. I was like jogging with friends we were doing like three kilometres or something you know and then now I've done five marathons in my life so can you, people if you put that pressure on yourself you're gonna burn yourself out and not want to continue anymore because it's just way too hard
0: let's take the pressure out of health can we do that because it's all just gotten a little bit too hard any of, any of us to be able to manage. So I'm I'm actually a big believer in taking shortcuts wherever you can, making your life easier because if you make it easy, you make it enjoyable, you're actually going to be able to sustain it and to do it. Mm. And stick within your budget as well. I think the idea that we have to spend a lot of money to eat healthily is nonsense. I know a lot of people who start eating the way that, you know, I talk about in in my programs, they end up saving a lot of money because you're you end up cooking at home or you're using more basic ingredients, things that are super healthy. they don't need to be fancy or wanky or superfoods. I mean superfoods are nonsense. it's just a marketing term that means nothing in nutrition and and I think what i what i what I often get asked by people is what are the healthiest foods that I have to be eating every day like if you could design me a perfect menu, please, <laughs> and to them I'd say that I wish I could. But there is no one healthy food. The idea of a superfood is silly because the healthiest diet is one that we're constantly changing. Mm. So a lot of the research at the moment into gut health, I mean, gut health is huge, right? And we all know we've heard about probiotics and prebiotics and good gut bacteria and all that kind of stuff. The thing that influences the, those good gut bugs the most is the diversity in our diet. So including plenty of plant-based foods, specifically plant-based foods. And the current recommendation is that you're eating 30 different types of plant-based foods in a week to help make sure that you have different types of bugs in your gut. And so think about it like this. If you have a farm and you're only growing one kind of crop, I mean, that's, that's great if you're a farmer, but there's no biodiversity there think about, you know, the Amazon and how you have all these different plants creating this beautiful ecosystem that kind of thrives together. And so the whole idea of having a diverse range of gut bugs is that if you got, you know, some kind of illness or low immunity, then you might have the right gut bug that's going to help challenge that invader. Um, But if you only have, you know, a crop like um, gut, then you only have a few different kinds of gut bugs and they can only do so much. So when we eat foods every single week, even if they are healthy, we really have a, a kind of a you know the set gut bugs that are going on there that can thrive. When we're constantly evolving and changing that diet, that's when we get this, this really lush biodynamic gut health. And so there is no one healthiest food. What we really need to be doing is just going in what's in season, getting food from our farmers. So we're always constantly naturally changing what we're eating and very simple changes to your diet can make a big difference. So maybe one week you're kind of on a bit of a chickpea bandwagon, the next week try some black beans or some lentils. If you normally add um, pumpkin seeds to your yogurt, why not try some plain rolled oats or add in a little bit of sunflower seeds. So even these little tiny changes, um, wherever you can grab them to getting those 30 different types of plant-based foods during your week, improve your gut health. And we know that gut health has flow on Effects for your immunity. It has blown effects for your mood, um, and you know who who knows what else they're going to discover about gut health.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I guess we would have we would have evolved, you know, over thousands of years eating berries that were in season or roots that were in season or different animals as they passed through where we were. So we were we we're never. Really, we never evolved to just eat the same thing 365 days a year. And it's like, you know, uh, like something like mangoes, when they're in season, you make the most of them for like five weeks and then they're gone. And then you're not eating them until next summer, really. And they're more expensive as well. So you can, I think you could kind of dictate that part. You can see what's in season when it's sort of getting to the more affordable side of things and that gets really expensive when it's not in season because it's come from Costa Rica or somewhere.
0: <laughs> that's it, that's it. And who knows, maybe those are the nutrients we need at that specific time of the year. So we get our oranges and our citrus fruit come in you know, full swing when it starts getting colder. Mm. Um, and just quickly about this whole like immune-boosting kind of concept because it feels very timely to me. Um, the whole idea of immune boosting doesn't really make sense because if you, if you boost your immune system, you can get an overactive immune system, which kind of can be like an autoimmune disease, which isn't a good thing. So it's not about so much as boosting an immune system so much as just supporting a healthy immune system. Um, and we do this so easily by getting in sleep, reducing stress. And getting lots of those different colored fruits and vegetables. It's not hard um, to eat an immune-boosting diet or immune-regulating diet, should I say. Um, And at the moment, I think there's a lot of stuff online suggesting that if you boost your immunity, you might be able to escape um, or protect yourself from the current pandemic No research behind that. There is a bit of research that maybe taking a vitamin D supplement might be useful, Um, but I think you know we just got to keep a level head about ourselves at the moment with this kind of stuff. Um, And maybe year round we could be eating an immune boosting diet just by adding in one more serve of vegetable, one more serve of fruit, um, and getting all getting in all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, you know, during this this period here, I haven't really heard any conversation about nutrition i've heard that the immune boosting diet type of thing but also too you mentioned their stress and they always you know they're always saying that stress is a contributor to different things like cancer and it certainly wouldn't be helping you fight any type of illness so the the amount that the media is just seems to love this story to death um like if that's that stress side of things surely isn't helping people, you know, whether it's the coronavirus or it's uh, the common flu or anything. Uh, what would you say about that?
0: Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think the news and social media are an energy exchange. And I think when you spend time engaging with that content, you're giving up your energy that you could otherwise be giving somewhere else. When you get to the end of the day and you feel like you haven't done that much, but you spend a lot of time on those kinds of platforms and you feel exhausted, there's probably a good chance that you've given up a lot of your, your mental bandwidth and your energy to these platforms. And, you know, I'm really conscious of how much time I spend on social media platforms and and the news. And personally for myself at the moment, I'm trying to see the, the silver lining in all the stuff that's going on. So for example, the benefits for the environment right now with people not traveling and you know at the slower pace of life and maybe we'll all come out of this and realize that being slow is a good way to live and we might get a chance to have more rest because we're not commuting we can sleep in a little bit more or have more time to do creative things that we enjoy doing or even just simply spending more time with the people in our household that we might not normally get to do there are so many silver linings right now and it's just kind of reframing this is, you know, this, this atrocious thing and, it, you know, there's terrible things that are happening but just trying to see it for how it can actually be a silver lining and a safe space at home for you to rest more.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it will show some people that they can work from home even for part of the week, you know, after this is all over. that. I think people are appreciating their outdoor time and I've seen, I've never seen this many people walking and, and jogging yes. and riding bikes as families and things like that as I've seen right now. Uh, and as you mentioned, because of the, you know, the, the pollution reduction and, you know, um, they can see the sky over China for the first time and, and all this sort of thing there and, and people actually seeing because of the, the whole supermarket hoarding issue that's going on people starting to grow vegetables in the garden I just hope when it's all over you know those dumbbells that people bought aren't just gathering dust in the garage and the the vegetable garden goes to ruin again and life goes back to normal hopefully people can you know maintain some of the things that they've picked up during this forced kind of time to stand down as um as something that they actually Figured out they did enjoy because they were sort of made to enjoy it for a little while.
0: That's it. I agree. I so agree. I also, there's this conspiracy theory that I've been vibing recently the idea that the, the earth has kind of given us an ultimatum to slow down at the moment, that mm-hmm. it, needed, it needed respite. And so perhaps potentially there's some greater energy at play, and that's what's happening right now. Who knows?
1: Yeah, well, you know, 2020, uh, like it's been rough, uh, and it feels like the uh, the Earth's definitely sending us a message. Um,
0: yeah,
1: know, it's been a year, yeah. or we're gonna, or you're gone. <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> we can. Work.
0: We're gonna be better for this.
1: Yeah, and and you uh, you've got your own little vegetable garden there, so. Uh, how much do you eat much of of your diet how much of that do you supply yourself
0: at the moment I would say it's about just 20% of the produce that I eat I've only been doing it now for about four months so it's a very new vegetable garden Um, Mm -hmm. but I can see myself taking over my entire House with a vegetable garden soon. I've got my beautiful brassicas at the moment. i have got all these, all these caterpillars that I'm <laughs> trying to get on top of. Um, so, any ideas would be really great because right now I'm just hand picking them every single day. My beautiful, like, I've got little fairy tale eggplants that, if you know, I've never heard of that, but it's such a beautiful um, plant and it yields about um, 20 tiny eggplants about once a fortnight, which is awesome. Um, I'm just really enjoying the 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 active meditation that I get from being in a vegetable garden as well. Mm. I find it really therapeutic, non-distracting, and just a really nice way to reconnect to nature. I'm just I'm a you especially as a dietitian and a nutritionist to actually be connected to the food. I mean, it just makes so much sense. I wish we all we all had a chance to to grow a little vegetable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's funny like I just um, my my last podcast that that is out now is with Costa Giorgiardis from from Gardening Australia and, and we actually talk about the you know the caterpillars eating our vegetables and then you know if you expand that and look at the whole picture um, I I would look at some some permaculture principles for for how you can control the caterpillars because you know, one they're obviously going to turn into butterflies, um, and that and that's awesome in itself. But there might be some other companion plants that you can put around your garden that will attract another type of bird or insect or something that preys on the caterpillars. So yeah,
0: in, that's a great idea.
1: Nature might take care of it for you, uh, and also invite some other wildlife to. Um, Something that else that you can enjoy while you're out there, and I completely know what you what you mean because I have my whole garden is this sort of jungle, and then I've just got the the vegetables in the middle in the sunny part, and um, a lot of my neighbours don't really like me very much because it's just like
0: what?
1: no trees, no trees, and then forest, and then no trees, no trees, no trees. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I sit out on the front balcony and, and do a little bit of work and I actually just get lost in what I was doing because I'm just watching a bird or, um, you know, chasing a, a beetle around or something like that and it's just so therapeutic to to be right in nature and I could never understand why people would go on holidays to a national park or, or somewhere like that. Like if you live in Sydney or or Wollongong people travel down to the south coast and stay in a cabin and you know just love that there's possums and lorikeets and everything around their little cabin. I don't understand why you wouldn't want to bring that to your house, and then you can kind of be on holidays every day. So,
0: exactly,
1: I would love to.
0: Uh, yeah. If only it was a bit cheaper to buy a house in, in Sydney, then maybe we'll, yeah,
1: we'll that's true. It's a bit hard. <laughs> apartment but but if you live in an apartment you can still have some some pots around the place and you can still have indoor plants you can always
0: i was living in an apartment six months ago and I, i asked strata for permission to take over the vegetable not the vegetable the like there was just these patches the front of our in front of the house on like where the the driveway was and I just got permission and then I planted a whole lot of some fruit trees and some some lovely herbs and it was kind of like a little community garden for all the people in the apartment that they could I was happy to tend to it and they come enjoy it so I guess there's always those kinds of options.
1: Yeah yeah that's awesome and and I think and how good is that for the people that live in that apartment as well? Like they're all, it's its a reason for people to start talking to each other, and I think that's something else that's missing, you know, in our society at the moment. We've been so busy and now all of a sudden, yeah, we've stopped and perhaps people are starting to talk to people that they'd never talked to before in their own street.
0: I like to think so. I like to think so.
1: Yeah. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, what... And if you? How long have you been doing this? This new nutritionist? Because you've got you've got like a hundred. Did I see a hundred thousand followers on your Instagram?
0: Yeah, yeah, I've got a yeah. So I've been doing um this for graduated in two thousand and eleven. So been a dietitian for nine years, and probably been doing the new nutritionist thing for about seven years. Um, it's been a lot of consistency, a lot of work, um, a lot of joy work. And at times the desire to just quit and find a job that's a little bit easier because I think, you know, nutrition is innately political. It requires a lot of putting yourself out there. I mean, you might think of like having a hundred thousand followers on Instagram as a a nice thing. And yeah, it is nice because you have these wonderful people, but also you kind of, you you kind of put yourself out there as fair play and people think they can say whatever they like about you and um, not everyone's going to agree with you. That's, that's just, you know, the honest truth of it. A book like Harry Potter is brilliant and you still have people who absolutely hated it. Uh, (laughs) So you're always going to have haters. So I mean, it's, it's divine to run my own shop and do my own thing. And my husband works full time with me now, which is pretty awesome. So we get to do that together um, it's a really interesting job though. No, no day is the same. It might be, you know, on TV in the morning, getting all lots of, lots of makeup. They put lots of makeup on you when you go on TV, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and then I might come home and might need to do a bit of filming. I film like, lots of recipe videos. I film workouts where I have, you know, like trainers who come and I have this thing called back to basics, which is a program where it's got like home workouts that are like five 10, 20 minutes, hundreds of recipes. And the whole idea with the recipes is that they're actually be really easy so people could actually do them. You know, not many ingredients and affordable foods and um, and it all links up with Woolworths online so you can kind of click a button and all the ingredients get added to your online shopping cart. So it's kind of nifty like that um, and there's a community and mindset tips to help people actually, you know, change. So, I, you know, I spend a lot of time doing that as well. Uh, uh, you know, just creating a lot of recipes, cooking a lot, eating a lot. <laughs> it's just, I found a way where I could, you know, combine all the things I love doing into a profession. And it's pretty great.
1: So how do you, how, like you mentioned there that, you know, people can think they can say whatever, you know, and I, it's that, you know, keyboard warrior, you know, everyone's a critic, everyone's an expert, I guess, uh, when they're online. But but how do you deal with that? Like if if some of those things are, are hurtful to you personally, do you just brush that aside or you know, do you say, well, you know, it's not about me, it's it's them, that it's their issue? How how do you get through that?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I think when people start getting personal um my comments about how I look, um, that 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 hurts because that feels like you know, it's not about my substance. It's about, you know, this very like exterior version of how people expect me to look. So, I mean, I think my skin has gotten a lot thicker over the years. It sure has to. I, it depends on the platform. If someone's writing on one of my social media things and they're writing something really mean, I'll either correct them with a stance that, you know, that is what, in my opinion, um, or I can also delete it if it's just like totally unfounded and and cruel, which sometimes happens. But I have to tell you out of, you know, a hundred comments or 200 comments, there might be one comment that's not positive. So it really does show me that humanity is, is good. And there's always, it's going to be one bad apple <laughs> ruining trying to ruin the bunch it's hard not to fixate on that one, one negative comment when you have all these beautiful incredible things that people do say and send me so i actually have this section on my computer where i write down the good things that happened to me in my life so you know if a friend gives me a really sincere compliment or you know just this really nice moment happens or someone writes me a really beautiful Email, you know, thanking me for the work I've done. I actually store that somewhere. And on those days where I feel down on myself, why oh, I'm doing what I'm doing, um, we all have those days, don't we? Yeah. I um, can just check out that folder and it always helps to remind me of the things that, you know, are so easy to forget in light of criticism. Um, because ultimately I really think that, you know, the people who really get ahead are the ones who just persevere, even though there's a lot of setbacks. So working in the media isn't so easy all the time, but I really just believe in what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. Um, and that I just always wish that there was someone saying the things I'm saying when I was a kid, when I was, you know, going to sleep, hating locked and not feeling good enough and feeling like I was never going to be, you know, the right weight. Um, so I just do it for that kid who might need to hear what I have to say.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's awesome, and you and you got sounds like you've got like a gratitude journal sort of thing. So you are you realizing that the, those small things that are that are happening each and every day outweigh the one or two things that make you feel rubbish.
0: Yeah, that's it, and it's digital because <laughs> yeah. that's that's how I can maintain it. <laughs> it
1: it's funny, like uh, you know, when we filmed a, a documentary called "The Peloton Against Plastic." And um, we were riding through Southeast Asia, avoiding plastic and talking to people who were doing things to to try and stop the plastic pollution issue in those countries. And when we first started, we we started getting a flood of expats who were just down on what we were doing. You know, we were doing it for money and we were doing it for fame and even though we were losing money and nobody knew we were there except for them. And um, and at first, I remember all of us sitting around saying, "Oh, like reading each of these messages and feeling really bummed about it, and just being obsessed with checking and then seeing another one and another one." And then we just flipped that around and started saying to them, "Oh, thanks, thanks for your advice. If you want to, uh, if you've got some comments or whatever, why don't you join us and and contribute." To the film and all this sort of stuff, and then it just stopped. So <laughs> <laughs> we gave them an opportunity to be actually be involved. They didn't want to be involved. They just wanted to uh, belittle us from the outside. Yeah, and I we did the um, the toilet paper thing on Bondi Beach, where we protested the toilet paper brands wrapping their their toilet paper in plastic with our pants down on toilets in Bondi, and we had lots of people telling us to get a job and bloody hippies and greenies and all this sort of stuff. And we just were liking their comments and saying, thank you, have you got a job for us? And um, <laughs> and it just showed that we had a sense of humour and, and it kind of, it never went further, whereas we could have engaged and and that's probably what some of these people want. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a skill in it. And I guess, like you said, if you want to, you want to put yourself in in the media, that's something that's gonna happen. So you have to grow that thick skin and be able to accept that or else it's it's just gonna keep getting you down.
0: Yeah, that's I love I love that you use humor to kind of combat that. You need a healthy dose of humor to get through life. (laughs) I also think it's the it's the kind of person who makes a comment that matters. You know, often people who are further ahead, who are doing really well in life, they don't go about cutting people down. It's often people who are insecure in themselves, who have nothing better to do, who might live a small life, who are, who are the ones who are the most angry, who have the most time to get angry on social media. <laughs> so just got to keep that in mind at all times as well.
1: Yeah, and that, that kind of ties into what you were talking about with your, you know, where you're at with your career now like you don't you don't get a hundred thousand followers uh and and have this place on tv and have people that are watching you on youtube or whatever cooking recipes by just being a slacker and like laying around your house and doing nothing and hassling other people you get there by working hard and um putting in lots and lots of hours and being disappointed lots of times and not getting paid very much and doing all these sort of things and then you know these all of these things don't happen overnight it it takes a long time and a lot of thought and I I'm guessing you know you're probably similar to myself where you know I've thought all day about something that I need to do with my business and thought for weeks and then, you know, slowly interacted and made mistakes and fixed those mistakes and slowly improved, you know. So none of this stuff is is simple and I think from the outside it's very easy to think, uh, you know, she's just lucky she got to where she is and, um, you know, by just knowing someone. and It's not always like that.
0: I think it's very rarely like that as well. I love the idea that you're talking about making mistakes. Cause my goodness, I, I fail so often. I'm always trying new things and doing terribly at it. And it's just a willingness to kind of be okay with sucking a little bit. Cause everyone <laughs> sucks when they start. I mean, I watched things that I recorded a year ago and I think I suck. <laughs> um, I could record something today and still think it's terrible, but I'm not going to let that perfectionism stop me from putting it out there because if I don't put it out there, if I don't create it, I'll just be paralysed. So mm. <laughs> that's like you've got to accept your suckiness and then that's how you get somewhere. Um, it's essential.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I've heard a statement by the, uh, the guy that started LinkedIn. I um, can't remember his name uh he He said that if you aren't embarrassed of your first product, then you ship too late.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can relate to that, yeah. That's exactly it. And most people just don't create anything because they're just too scared of being embarrassed. (laughs) But that's exactly what it has to be. Um, And so for things like, you know, recording myself, I actually make myself watch myself back again and again and relive the torture because I'm not going to get any better if I just ignore it, put my head in the sand. Mm. Um, Oh. Yeah.
1: Like I, we're recording a podcast now. I've, I've, you know, put off the podcast for a while, or just kind of thought it was too hard. Until I eventually got started, I hate my voice, but can't really do anything about it. So here it is. And if you don't like my voice in the podcast, then I suppose you won't listen. So, uh, but there's just—I
0: think your voice is great, and I wouldn't have given it two thoughts. It's just so interesting the things in ourselves that we find fault with, yeah. um, and so how they can stop us from doing things. Um, for no good reason really
1: oh yeah and it's the same thing you know that you talked about with diet it's the same thing with sustainability with growing a vegetable garden with exercising with starting a business we're always hung up on um, trying to make it perfect before we start and then if we're always wanting that perfection then we're never going to start so
0: Yeah. Perfectionism is very paralyzing. So, you know, across the board, we have to, we have to fail. We have to fail often. We have to find joy in the failure. Um, and I will just say, I, I love this idea of you stretching your comfort zone, you know, that you've kind of have to be scared multiple times in a week or a month to actually be expanding. But each time you feel that fear, you're kind of like growing that sweet little comfort zone a little bit bigger your life gets bigger as a result of it. I think a lot of people are afraid of discomfort. Um, that's why we make ourselves so busy so we don't have to sit with ourselves and see what's really going on in our brain or why we, we don't stick to things because we think it, life has to feel comfortable all the time, where we don't have to feel embarrassed about how crappy we are. Um, so it's just trying to find that joy in the discomfort. I'm um, kind of just saying, oh, maybe it's because maybe it's, discomfort's okay. Um, and I think that helps you do things and move forward.
1: Yeah, I wonder if that. I I've always thought that that was a something that came with age, where you just don't care anymore. Like <laughs> I think when you're a teenager or something, everything matters, and how you look to everyone really matters. But as you get older, I I might be wrong, but I feel like as you get older, it's like oh, I don't care how I look like today or whatever, it doesn't really matter. So, and, I, and I, like I know that's how I am, you know, with this podcast, for example, or, you know, filming the documentary, I, I probably wouldn't have done that 10 years earlier even because I would have been more concerned with how I looked, whereas as mm. I, now it's just like, well, this is how I look, so and this is how I sound, so I'm, I can't do anything about those things.
0: Exactly And what a privilege it is to get older. Um, what a joy. I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, ageism that goes on in our world where it's like, Oh, you look so great for your age. I'm like, that's not a compliment to like someone that look great for their age. I want to look my age. I want to, I don't want to, I mean, (laughs) I don't want to be 21 again. I don't know about you, but that was hard. (laughs) So I don't know why we, we hold youth up as this like, you know, pinnacle (laughs) when really, um, I don't, I, I found that whole situation quite hard. And each year I'm getting older, I'm, I'm getting more enjoyment. It's getting better and better. Um, I think the, the old, old times where people used to lie about their ages or, you know, thinking that it's rude to, to ask someone how old they are. I don't quite, quite understand that. I just, I'm excited for everything that comes and every single year that I get is just the privilege. We're lucky.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think I'd want to be 21 again unless I could know what I know now and then that's <laughs> possible. So. And if you did, you'd nail being 21. I'd kill it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so what is, um, what, what's ahead for you now? What, uh, do you have any, any major plans or, or anything or it's, uh, you know, just keeping down this road and, and inspiring more people?
0: Well, I mean, there's a few projects always on the go. I um, built Back to Basics, it's just my program, in it was about a year ago. And I've created, you know, two subsequent versions of that. So the first version was was okay. Maybe I look back at it now, and it was definitely a beta version. But I put it out there, and each version afterwards has been better and better so right now i'm working on version three of that program so you know every six months i'm, I'm basically rebuilding it from scratch and creating an even better product um, but apart from that to be honest my horizons are currently on just slowing down and learning what i need to learn at the moment and waiting for that next step that i need to take to come at me instead of fighting it and i mean that's always served me really well just try to work out which direction I want to go in, and let's see. What about you? What's your what's next on the cards for you?
1: As I mentioned, you know, we finished the the documentary last year, middle of last year. So we were actually just starting to get some traction uh, with local government uh, wanting to show our film to to their local government area and do some education around plastic pollution. The Fair Food forager app is finally working really well, and. Because, uh, again, I know nothing about uh, development, tech um, app development, so I've learnt so much over the last couple of years getting that all up to scratch. And I, I'm actually finding that in during this pandemic, it's sort of finding its place as, uh, because it's always been about positivity, not about, you know, trolls and, and bad news. It's actually been about, you know, what are you doing that is to help you know yourself live more sustainably or healthy and your appreciation of environment and so people are actually getting on the app and just feeling good like what a novel idea um feeling happy about the planet or you know feeling that they can share their the food that they've grown or the food that they've cooked or the the beach cleanup that they did so uh, I think now for me going forward, it's, it's about now that it's find, finding its place and it's working well, it's about getting it out there, which, again, it makes my, my brain bleed when I think about marketing, but it's just something that I'll keep learning as, as I go and, and get this, this app out there and, and hopefully make people feel good about the
0: environment. Mm. Well, I think you're doing awesome stuff. And I think your mission is so clear that it's it's just such a good one. If you if you haven't read any of the books by Seth Godin,
1: yeah, so good. Leap first and and Purple Cow. He has a daily blog, which is great. It's quite often a couple of lines, and I would recommend that anyone gets that um, emailed to them because you know some and you you might not read it um, four days out of seven, but. Sometimes you'll just read it and it will just be like exactly.
0: <laughs> and, and Seth Godin, he's such a a person who just turns up every day and does that work. You know, just literally just turns up. Doesn't matter. You know, it kind of teaches us that idea of letting go of that perfectionism, and he's absolutely awesome. So it's a good, good good role model.
1: Yeah, he's he's just a brilliant. The way he words things, I think, just comes across in. Uh, it's it's very easy to understand, and he's very good at using uh, sort of everyday experiences to to make you understand sometimes quite complex things. Um, and it's not always around marketing because he is a a marketing guru himself, isn't he?
0: Mm, he is.
1: He is a guru. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it'd be good to to work more with you into the future, seen as um you know your you're focused on nutrition but I think our ideals are are very much aligned so yeah it'd be good to to work more with you in the future
0: I think so and I think I I mean I love what you're doing I think nutrition fundamentally needs to take into consideration the environments because the food comes from the earth and I think that's been a very big missing piece of the puzzle for Mm -hmm. a very long time um and i like to think that we're getting closer to to bridging that gap so yeah love to please stay in touch reach out you know where, where to find me now so yeah
1: i'll be i'll be following on instagram and hopefully we'll see you on the <laughs> Food forager app as well yeah yes um, that would be awesome I'm, yeah and like you said you know sustainability and being healthy you know if you're riding your bicycle to work eating more vegetables that aren't wrapped in plastic that came from your backyard or your local community, like you're doing a service to your body, but you're also doing a service to the planet and neither of them are rocket science. We just need to be a, bit, a little bit more, uh, not put so much pressure on ourselves and, and we'll be making a difference without even knowing it.
0: Mm, agreed. And I think any, any like healthy habit that serves the earth, then that's a healthy habit for you. So, you know, consider that tumba that doesn't have plastic wrapped around it. I don't know why they do that nonsense. <laughs> um, that's just one more thing to add into your repertoire.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for this podcast. I had a, I had a ball. And it
0: was so nice uh, to getting to know you and, and having a really good chat. So thank you for having me.
1: My pleasure. What a way to get to know each other on a podcast in, in front of hopefully thousands of people.
0: exactly (laughs) very intimate setting no it's it's actually perfect you get to go into like some very juicy topics really quickly that you otherwise you know don't do when you're having you know a general chat with someone so i really i really dig that
1: yeah awesome thank you so much and let's uh let's do part two at some point in the future and uh, i look forward to talking to you more
0: likewise let's stay in touch thanks paul
1: thank you so much
0: See ya, bye.
1: bye. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the Fair Food Forager and Friends Show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please download the Fair Food Forager app, join the movement, share your knowledge, and learn from others. As a community we can make a huge difference. I believe that being positive, having fun and learning from each other is what we need. And that is exactly what this app is about. So I'll see you there. Music by Ash Crummel. This is 180 from his album Trouble's Door.